0: Welcome to Make That Paper, the show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams.
1: And to hire someone to do your social media for you, because who has the time?
0: Today, we are chatting about the horse training trade and the military mission, plus the Department of Corrections profession.
1: But why stop there? We should delve into the juvie boot camp calling and legal practitioner employ.
0: We are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle.
1: And Jason Bieber.
0: And today we're having a conversation with an incredible writer whose many careers have inspired the profoundly moving stories she weaves.
1: She has been nominated for multiple awards for her novels Fit for Duty, Don't Tell, and Shades of Grey.
0: She's a good friend of the show and we are absolutely
2: delighted to be speaking to her. So please welcome Kathy Cron.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, nice to see you guys. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: So interesting, Kathy is different because Kathy actually wanted all these careers she chose. And then at the same time, she was like, oh, I have a lot of stories. I should write a book, which is really interesting. And you said something interesting to us where somebody told you that you can't write a book until you've lived a life. So you don't have any experience. So once you get experience and you can tell me what they were referring to and what, how you interpreted that information, because You sort of took it and ran with it in a direction that I have, that exhausts me. Let's be honest. And I've worked a lot of jobs. I've worked 80 hours a week, but your career path. Well, let's let's
1: clarify. You've worked a lot of jobs. Kathy has worked a lot of careers.
2: Careers. Exactly. Well, I've worked worked a lot of jobs and I've worked 80 to 100 hours a week, but I've remade myself in careers. I don't know, four or five times. (sighs) like total remake, like, you know, but I, I had to do the past one while I was working on the next one. So it was, uh, yeah, like the total remake from, um, counselor to attorney, you know, there's, you know, but there's, there's a bridge in there where you're doing all those other jobs at the same time or, you know, so there, there definitely been quite a few careers in there. Um, but a lot of jobs and people are like how do you work so many jobs well two at once two full-time ones at once and right exactly. or school in a full-time and they're you know it's so like you just do it you just can somebody so. wrote on
0: twitter the other day that um they had so many jobs that they were like when i get bored or have no work for the one job i just move over to the other job and i just thought god I have never had a job where I just punched out at the end and that was it for my day. Like, you're the same. It's like, no, your whole career has always been leave one to go work on the other.
2: Uh, that's true. But, you know, the, the jobs and we'll call it, quote unquote, olden days. When you left work, you left work like that yeah. job was done for that day. And there was somebody to plug and play into your job at that point. Sure. Right. And now you never leave work because there is no one else to do your job. It's just you. It's just you. So and that, that's OK. And, you know, you were you were talking about the list of jobs. So I've had a lot of government jobs, yeah. state and federal and military. And um, you got to have background checks. Mm-hmm. And so they want to know where did you live and what jobs did you work in these certain years? Right. So I actually had, I don't need it anymore. Had a word spreadsheet. Like I had, I had this whole list because I had no idea. And it was like pages long, you know? Well, I remember when I lived at this house, I must've been doing this job. It was in this state. It was crazy. I just, I had to write it down because you couldn't just recreate it on a dime. You just couldn't do it. So it was crazy. Interesting
0: to me. And this brings up an interesting problem that I have, um, Because I've lived, I've moved so many times within California. Once I left Detroit in California, I moved a lot in Los Angeles. That's a normal thing when you're a renter here. But I have also had a lot of jobs that I picked up off of Craigslist and, you know, other whatever um, places. We won't talk about it, but I've had a lot of jobs too. So
1: it sounds like so there's jobs that are shadier than Craigslist.
0: Some of them are shady, but there's this thing where you're applying for a new um, student loan or I don't know. There's some things where I need like for uh, social security or driver's license. I don't know anything government related. And they're like, where did you live on April 15th? in 1999 or where did you live in 2001 february does this address look familiar and i'm like sort of but i've also lived in a lot of places so i'm not i can't remember what was your salary at this point zero dollars a year i have no idea and they want those specifics and i'm like i'm gonna have to do a better job of my history this is insane
2: you have to make that list that's I what
1: yeah. need. I you need you need that list and then you can list.
2: just refer back to it and be like ah, yeah yeah the resume won't do it you need the actual physical location
1: employment history and and residency uh matrix
2: absolutely yeah absolutely all because of identity
0: thieves identity thieves did this to us
2: god damn it yeah
0: i hate them that's probably a really good job that i haven't explored identity thief
1: well kathy i'd like to yeah let's not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'd like to rather than open up and start a life of crime, maybe go back and um talk about your beginnings. Um, and I'm assuming that these are chronological. So I think I'm starting at the beginning when you say you start you you started out training horses.
2: Um, okay, so my parents moved me from the small town to the smaller town, where, I would say, and Charlie's going to scratch, just so you know. Um, So that, so that I went to school with with at the time, which are still the farmers, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm in the school district, which is the town I live in now, which is a whole full full circle, where you had your advanced classes and your languages and all this, and you're in like, you know, they moved all the time anyway. And, And in seventh grade, and then you went live with the farmers and you you couldn't take those classes because they didn't exist in that school and we were out in the country and there was this horse farm nearby this little barn and these horses about a mile away from where I lived which not all the roads were paved let's say and um there were no sidewalks actually there's no sidewalks where I live now so anyway so I started um taking care of the horses in this barn in exchange for a horse that I ended up getting. My, my parents did not um, foot the bill for any of this or Amazing. they did not approve of any of this. So I would um, feed these horses and take care of them and all that and clean up the barn in exchange for my horse's room and board. And I would um, give riding lessons, beginning, beginner lessons at this uh, horse farm, like a few miles away, the, you know, like the good place um in exchange for my advanced lessons and I would build the hay and do all these things and and that would pay for my you know my tack and all the things that I needed or entry fees for shows or you know I did pony club I did three three day eventing jumping and all that kind of that was like my thing so basically um when people go to school in the morning you go from your house and you go to school right not me I went to the barn first and um when you come home from school you don't come home. You go to the barn, you know, and that's just so. That's how the horse thing came about. And um, back in those days, in in the school that I ended up graduating from, um, my my first writing was that I was, you know, the school paper. Mm-hmm. So first the feature editor, then the editor in chief of the paper, which I totally forget about those things. But anyway, so these people when I started going to college, and I was like, oh, I'm going to write this novel, and I was calling it Bank Jump, and I started this book because you know it was all about horses, and I trained horses on the main line after college, and you know did all these things, and um, and they're like, well, how are you going to write a book? You're you're like you know 17 years old, and you haven't done anything. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a really good point. Well, meanwhile, I had already done you know ROTC, and uh, you know, so I had done some things, but. I started keeping actually physically. Now I have a notebook from from when I was in training in the military that I actually took notes about what happened during the day, and that was a good basis, background basis for the "Don't Tell" book, because those were the things that happened, and I made the notes and you know in real time, um, in I, I less than favorable conditions. So yeah. yeah, I actually had a guy at Lewisburg Federal Prison. Um, I I did an internship I've worked at state and federal prisons adult and adult and minors and juvenile things and but anyway I had a guy at the federal prison it's not a very nice place in Lewisburg um, say the only reason you came here was so you could add to all the places that you've been so you can write your stories or something and I was like wow okay well maybe I will write more down then you know he was he was not a very nice gentleman um, but I really didn't enjoy the time there anyway so that was okay with me um it didn't lead to any firing i was doing an internship in their legal department for like five months but uh yeah he didn't want me to actually work there he thought i would quit so i could go off and chase another story and i was like that's okay so that's a scary place yeah it's it's real interesting
0: to me that um all these things led to you to being writing fiction stories and so much of it always when i talk with you it's like i can't believe that you didn't become a journalist after all after all of this like that journalism wasn't something that um you also kind of switched gears into
2: i think i had that idea but journalism is talking about other people doing these things and i more like to put myself in the story So all my settings I try to make as authentic as possible.
0: Yeah.
2: And then I just add the people and I see in my head as opposed to the real people who are there. So, you know, reporting on real life things, you're gonna see that over and over in the media and whatever. Nothing wrong with journalism. And and I thought I was headed there for a while, but I liked thinking about who were these soldiers, who were these this these people, the people that I'd met. I would take those people and I would either put them in or I would modify what happened or I would collapse a lot of times what I did was collapse the timeline of the things that I've seen yeah
0: okay so let me ask you you went to college you were invested in horses you were writing about horses um what how did you end up in the military
2: well no I was I was in ROTC in college okay so in college I didn't ride very much um And then it was after college that I um, didn't really want, so I was doing the military stuff um, after college, and um, there was a point where I had gotten hurt, and I couldn't stay in the military at that point, which I am not that bright, so I found a way to get back in, (laughs) took me a little while, but, um, you know, to get over that and get back in, so when I could no longer be on active duty at that point, I went back to the horse farms and kind of worked my way. I had actually gotten hurt to the point where I couldn't walk like my, my the injuries on my one leg. I couldn't uh, physically lift my leg to walk. Like it wasn't even that it hurt right. too much. It just didn't work injuries to my hip and my knee and stuff. And so, it was beyond like oh you have a you know oh you're hurt and you can't do something no no I was pretty good at taping it up and wrapping it that was that was a completely different and very frightening thing that you weren't sure and they didn't have enough good imaging technology like they only actually got a complete um overview of what that injury was in 2015 and this happened in 1987 so may I ask how
1: you how you were injured
2: um, I was, okay. Have you ever seen in, in the, in the TV shows where they have the huge obstacle course and they're up on the big logs and you know what I mean? hundred percent.
1: Sure. Imagine. Sure. I like wipeout.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So add, add a little bit of winter, really cold and some ice oh. and you're up on the top and you couldn't hold on because there was ice. And so it was a very long fall down. It was one of those yeah. big old thuds, like you're falling off a building, except it was a log. So you were climbing on this thing and it was bam. Oh. So, yeah, it was pretty, Um, yeah. Can I just so that was, here? that got my whole one side, my neck and mm. my whole one side, shoulder, knee and hip just, but you know, it's. Um, Did you cry? Um, No, I don't think so. I think Jeez. I was stunned and I was really, it was really cold and we had not had heat for weeks and I am not a cold weather person.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: And she so I think it was. living in the East coast right now. Yeah, I know. I know. This was in the East Coast. This was, and and so it was just like, it was so cold. Um, But no, I didn't leave that training class. I was like, "Mm -mm -mm, we're going to work on this. And it got, you know, and so I kind of had done the things I needed to graduate from that. And then I went on to the aviation center at Fort Rucker. And then I just kind of had to work my way through that. I made it all the way to Fort Carson before it was like, you can't run. You you. I, I started to be able to walk, but not very well. And you know. And they're like, well, you kind of have to run, and and so you know, I I actually did my work my way back into that, but only I stayed on the reserve side because that constant pounding and the carrying of the weight would just trigger everything all over. So, um, to this day, it's still a it's yeah. still an issue. Like it never really went away. I just yeah. found other ways to deal with it, which is fine. But you know um that's what happens and like so many people in the military and then of course you have injuries on top of your injuries because you're working with injuries and you have more injuries i'm actually at 100 percent for the va service connected disabled because of so many things spinoff things you know that have happened um but like everybody else that i've ever talked to who's been hurt there everyone says i'd go back and do it again you know yeah. There's somebody who lost their vision or their leg or their this or that. They're, they're, they're like, yep, I'd go back and do it again. If I could so, get back in uniform and go, I'd be there. And that's exactly like it's just a it's a thing. So what
0: is that? I mean, you're a psy- psychologist, also. You're you're trained in counseling. What is that?
2: There's a certain sense of belonging and being and duty. You can't replace it somewhere else. So uh so so like. For example, um, when I was in law school, I went to um, Paris to study for, uh, I took, like, my last my last several months, I went to put, I was studying international law, so I went to this program through Tulane, was a uh, visiting, like I did in um, Germany, or in Paris, and then I had some friends who were in Germany, um, civil engineers who worked for the U.S. and in Heidelberg, and so here's the sense where I'd been living, like, just in Paris, and there's no military, no U.S., I wanted to go somewhere where I knew nobody, and nobody spoke English, it was perfect, it was awesome, I mean, and um, so then I went to Germany, some friends of mine and I, we went over on the train, and then I ended up staying in Germany, well, there's a military base there, so pretty much what I did, I was still in the reserves, right, I walked up, into the JAG office, and I'm like, hey, I don't have any uniforms, but if you want some free help, here I am. Oh, by that night, I was invited to barbecues, and PT is now, and yeah, you can come and work in criminal post-trial stuff. I had this immediate group, like, I was just immediately accepted, and everybody was so nice and inviting me to everything, and it was just like a world you can't understand, just because, you know, I wasn't even wearing a uniform, because you you had that same you know you were part, you were one of them, so which
1: is can I ask you yeah can I ask you and, I, and you you I know you talk about this or, or you explore this in your books, but um there was you know an aspect of it because you talk about this sense of belonging yep. um so much so much so that even when you're not actually and you're still in uh, <laughs> But also, uh, there was also a sense of exclusion, a sense of. Oh, um, well, t- and I'm talking about "Don't Ask, Don't Tell," um, and which you and in your
0: books, also. Yeah,
1: um, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering how that, like, what is the draw, or you know, especially at that moment when you you're you're injured and you're out. But you feel that you know you f- still feel that draw pulling you back in, even though you're both physically out and um socially having that uh well, I don't know, it's it's both social and institutional. Um so anyway, this is I don't know if I have the question ever, is Yeah,
0: I got you it. still yep. felt more belonging than than not. What is so like how did you manage that for so long?
2: Well, okay, so most people who leave the military have a huge unless they try to get out they have an identity crisis mm. and a lot of them try to fill it with a government job that has a similar structure right mm-hmm. they have the ranks they have the jobs they have the the whole kind of thing and and that purpose and you're doing things like and and I'll get back Jason to that but how many people do you personally know that can go to work in a tank and come home in a helicopter in the same day and then go back to your house and in your normal bed. Right. Yeah. Is that cool? It's pretty cool. Right. It's pretty Just cool. The concept of it. And nobody's shooting at you, by the way.
1: Right. Um, thank this thank is, goodness.
2: This is, this is like my job when I worked at the military Academy in Colorado that, you know, you're, you got to, I mean, my friend would yell at me. What are you doing in that? Um, Humvee ambulance. Well, I'm getting checked out on it so I can get added to my license, my driver's license. She's like, you don't need to be able to drive everything that comes in. I was like, oh, I want to drive this 113 track vehicle. And then she <laughs> gave up and she's like, fine, just go out and get qualified. Right? So we had all kinds of equipment and things and all kinds of training stuff. and And I was like, the training person um as my regular job and then you know and then you had a, um it would be like a government job but it looked like a regular job you wore a uniform blah 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 but then I was really only in the national guard there and so I had to do the weekend drills but you would have your weekday job which looks like you were active duty but it was totally different you know as it, but it was cool and you got to do all this stuff um so there was this um there are things that you just can't do In the civilian world, that you're allowed to do there. Like you're driving down the airfield road and the sun's coming up and you just see the helicopters taking off. And it's a scene from a movie, but it's real and you're living it and you're about to go there and you're about to go through all these checkpoints that you're like, hey, how's it going this morning that nobody else can get in because they don't have your job, right? (laughs) So then there's the other side of it, which is pre, way beyond, before Don't Ask, Don't Tell, you know. It because that wasn't till ninety-three. So then there's all of us who are like, we had to lie and say we weren't gay, right? And mm-hmm. and they would ask you and they would say and they would threaten you and they would remind you and they were like, you know, this is bad juju and you can't do it and you can't be gay. It's and and there's an actual I looked up the actual regulation, you know, and it's like homosexuality is incompatible with military service. All right then you don't even know who we are. You know, how do you know that? Because somebody right. wrote it down. And,
0: and when was that uh, written? I mean, was that written for men?
2: No, that just in general, just in
0: general, but like at one point, it was only men in our military for the longest time. So I, I wonder when that was written and when that was established.
2: They were nice enough to rewrite it over time. Oh. I think the last rewrite was like 1953 or something like world war two. I can't remember. I looked it up at one point, but, um, yeah, so so this whole thing was the irony was that you're you're like, nope, I'm not. Put your hand up. You go do your thing, and then there's gator involved, right? And and That's so the official term gator, mm-hmm.
0: right?
2: That's the official and, term, right? And, right? and you have to be gay to have gator. No. And I mean, did you go, something- did you
1: did you get trained on that equipment or? <laughs> Did they give you, did you get license for that equipment as well?
2: No, no, (laughs) actually that, that, um, article that I just wrote for GirlX was the first time that I was part of, um, the gay community. Like I live in, you know, here, or lived here and then school. And, and so when I went to my permanent duty station and I got picked up for real, I, it was like a whole new world. And I'm like, Oh, gay bars. No idea. This is so cool, you know, and, and now I'm like, oh, now it makes sense how you people I'm like drawn to, you you know, and it was just really weird. But, you know, you're sitting in a room full of people that you're not allowed to be gay with. And yet you can tell who the gay people are mm-hmm. and have a nonverbal conversation. But you have to you have to have the nerve to say something to them about it or some way indicate so that you don't get thrown out because you say something like, hey, you're gay. Do you want to go to this bar? What do you do? So, this term family I know came into being some time ago. So, it'd be like, Hey, are you family? Well, if you weren't family, you didn't know what that meant. Right.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: So, so you use family a lot. But then you also see these people. Like, if you get into the first cool place for gay people, which is always a really bad neighborhood, and you're sure you're going to get mugged to get out, even if you weren't gay, you get mugged there. Um, you know, so you go in there and then you'd see those, some of those people in other places that you would go. Um, back when we went places you know like the cool drag shows and the outdoor dancing and the indoor bar and you know yeah a lot of alcohol involved. but anyway it was still fun but (laughs) even the military people they were they were going there and there were people who worked in missile missile silos in wyoming who would come down to our bar in denver because that was the closest civilization three hours away right Wow. on the weekends and so you'd meet all kinds of cool people in the bar and you could tell who was military and who wasn't and it was it was just very very interesting so and we had the air force academy there and the you know a bunch of army bases around and lowry which is no longer i mean it was it was this melting pot and lots and lots of gay people in the military more probably more women than men i would think but yeah all right.
0: very stressful to um not to worry about being found
2: out yeah there's just a point where you're like eh, well but then so then we had don't ask don't tell well that was really helpful the only thing that stopped was nobody hunted us physically hunted us like it was no longer somebody's job Mm -hmm. but you were just in. I call it a glass closet you're like well we still can't look gay we can't say we're gay and we can't you know so it really was like just stop people from hunting us um but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it was stressful. I found it annoying at times. Other times we're like, how stupid are these people? I am a poster child for the gay community. Do you not see me? You know, and it was just like, what are you going to do? So other people were like, oh, you're a woman, a woman having a men's job. And I'm like, no, I'm a gay person who isn't supposed to be here. But, you know, who cares if it's men and women's job? That's not a problem. <laughs> you know, you guys are way off base. Right. But we didn't know any better. We All we knew was this is the rule and this is what you do if you want to keep doing what you're doing. And we couldn't change it. And so we just did what we did. And sometimes we laughed about it and sometimes we were mad. And But more so, we were mad at the people who wanted to get out, who used that as an excuse because you'd be out-processed in a matter of hours. They strip that oh. sticker off your car and they get rid of you quicker than anything. Wow. That wow. It was an easy out which was not cool.
0: So that's incredible.
2: Yeah.
1: And so you're taking notes on all of this and you're, you're putting this together. I mean, this, the story is coming together uh, on, uh, as you live it. Are you, the stories you, you wrote are fiction um, yes. or are yes. you, are you, um, and I don't know if they're fictionalized accounts or if they're, or if they're pure fiction, but um Are you like creating stories? Are you actually writing at this time or are you uh, or is it just note taking at this point?
2: I didn't start just just notes and not all the notes, just certain things. And the rest of it stayed in your head that you would never, ever get rid of it. But I think the notes were more on the feelings, how you felt when you're in this situation, how, Hmm. how, how when you were out in the cold the same time right before I had fallen, how it was so cold and you were so dirty and you were so disgusted that you did take some shampoo out to the field with you. And I washed my hair and it froze in place. Right. And that, you know, things like that, you, you don't want to forget that because how many times does that really happen to you? Right. Um, So most of the stuff some of the some of the things i imagine would happen to a person some of the things had happened to somebody that i'd known but mostly it's totally fiction i didn't actually start writing anything until my last semester of law school when i came back from europe um and i did a visiting semester here in pennsylvania and i had to commute uh an hour and 45 minutes each way and they were dynamiting the road to make it passable bigger which made it impassable at times if you didn't hit it just right. So sometimes I never got there. And so I was writing a screenplay in my mm-hmm. head and I would drive there and I'd write this whole, the work, work out these scenes, I'd get there. And as a good student practice student that I was, I would break down the scenes. Like I was taking notes as they were talking, which is probably bad, but all of my grades were based on essays. So it didn't matter what the lectures, you know what I mean? So anyway, so. Yeah, so I wrote a screenplay in that five months, driving back and forth to school, and then, um, you know, I started then writing. Realized I'm like, I'm in Pennsylvania. There's no like basic internet, or you know, I'm like, how am I ever gonna? And and there was a pivotal point there in law school where it's like, do you want to go study in Paris? Or my two options in my mind, because you know, was to go to LA for the entertainment law, and those were the two paths. And I'm like, oh, which one would I regret, right? <laughs> and I'm like, and you know what I decided? If I was going to be part of entertainment, I didn't want to be the lawyer. Yeah. I wanted to be the cr- creator. I always thought that I would be the stunt person in L.A., not not the mm-hmm. regular, you, you know what I mean?
0: broken leg and your... Well,
2: Well, no, I mean, I jumped horses, I used to jump motorcycles, I have a racing motorcycle, I had horses, you know, it it was definitely um, a a little bit, I was definitely an adrenaline junkie, and now it's only a a semi-reformed adrenaline junkie, you know, it's just that that rush that you get in your day, Mm
1: -hmm. there's
2: definitely, it's real, it's a real thing. Um, You don't get it so much here, you can try to recreate it, but eh, maybe not. So, but yeah, so the book I started writing again after I started working for this law firm and I was like, oh, I felt like somebody killed me and put me in a box. So I started writing the first book and the first book was actually Shades of Grey. And then my friend said, hey, no, no, no. She said, hey, we need a backstory on the Shades of Grey book. And I ended up writing the Don't Tell book, which ended up being put out first. <laughs> yeah,
1: ah. which is great.
2: So that's that was my backstory. Was a book, um, <laughs> you know, a little overkill, but that's the way it goes.
0: But you've published them all, and there's a and, and it's so interesting because you you're what I haven't seen. Well, okay, let me finish this off. I have a lot to say. What's so interesting is it's very real. It's like you feel very much that it's happening to you at this time. It's very immersive. Um,
2: but hey, can I can I say one thing? Don't lose your thought. Yeah. Somebody wrote a comment on Amazon with my first book, and she thought she was being terribly mean. And she's like, "Oh, she's a terrible writer. All she's doing is writing down the things that happened to her." But the book was totally fiction. So I was like, "Yay." Because right. it's not real, and mm-hmm. I made it all up. And she's like, like you, what you just said, totally immersed and thought it was real as she was going. And I just yeah. was taking, writing down a journal. Yes, and that wasn't it.
0: Yeah, which is great. Sorry,
2: sucker. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yay.
0: I think that's true. Um, it's wonderful, and I think like uh, uh, this. Is just side note, well, since we're here, um, a lot of reviewers of things like. The reviews are like, they do think that they're mean and it's like, but actually that's what I was doing and you got it just because you didn't like that I did that. You got that I did that. So I did it well. Thank you so much. I know. I I see that a lot. I don't really read reviews. I don't write reviews. Um, But I know that that's a big thing is book reviews are a big thing for writers, but I I, I just won't do them. Like I just-
1: the also, also the problem with reviews on Amazon is you're, you know, you've got the same person reviewing your book and then, you know, they're doing it right after they review a pair of pants and a blender and a Bluetooth headphones they bought. And it's like, it's not a, it's not a book marketplace the way it once was. It's an everything marketplace.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm talking more about book critics and reviews, you know, mm-hmm. big reviews. And I'm like, oh, I could never be a book critic because I just... I just want to say yay for everyone who actually publishes a book. It's like, oh my God, you did it. I am so proud of you. I am working hard to do that too. And I'm so proud of you. But I will say this about Amazon reviewers. Um, The biggest review I see on everything, books included, was it shipped from China? Did they print it in China? Is this from China? Don't buy it. It's from China. Like that is the biggest review lately is is like if it's from china it's no good you know like i'm like you were really hurting some people's careers here can you just for one second
2: oh yeah that's true i I haven't seen that now i'll have to look for it
1: yeah let's next book title made in the usa yes yeah
0: well i mean yours kind of are made in the usa um just i mean you're talking about the american military i mean
2: yeah, I am
0: than that. Um, okay. So before you went to law school though, so you get out of school, you're doing, um, active duty and then you decide to go into counseling. So you, you go back to school for a degree in counseling.
2: Nope. No, no. Okay. I had no. my undergrad. I got two degrees as an undergrad in the four okay. years, one economics, one psychology.
1: Okay. So you were doing double duty even then. Apparently. Yes. Yes. Okay.
0: So okay. you're in active duty. When do you start when do, when does the the career to counseling begin?
2: Um after after I got hurt and um had to get off of active duty during the period of time where I was trying to get back in, which is not very easy when you have what's called an RE3 code, which means you have a medical disability and they, they really don't want you back because you're hurt and you're broken. And so um, about 19, this happened in, like I said, about 1987. And so about 1988, then I started with the counseling stuff. Um, and then eventually when I went back in the reserve side, I was doing the counseling stuff or full or time Army, or Army uh, government service, GS job while I was in on the reserves or national guard side then, but it took a couple of years to get back in the military. It took me, I think if you get rejected, like they, they have a paper review or if you can get there in person, you're rejected for three years. You can't reapply for three years to get back in. So if what it's you do in, in that
0: time? Like, for well, no,
2: I was, I was, that's what I mean. I was doing counseling get jobs okay. and, and um, cause that's, That's the degree I had. So actually I was supposed to try to remember who it was. um, I think it was Raymond James because I had an economics degree. I had a license to be a stockbroker and it's been so long. I was back and forth from Colorado and Pennsylvania so many times. I think I was going to Denver and um, I could have been coming this way anyway. And in the drive, um, black Black Monday, whatever that was in '87, mm. it happened in my drive across the country, and by the time I got there, there was no stockbroker job because everybody was, everything crashed. So that's when I ended up doing the counseling instead. Got so it. which I like I like doing counseling. it's um, yeah. it's um it's a good job for me because you can use humor and you can make a difference and you can see the difference happening. I like
0: it. Yeah, hundred percent.
2: But you also absorb all that. So, yeah, that's yeah.
0: That's that's one reason I didn't. That you know, when I was deciding, am I going to go back to school and get a a graduate degree in in psychology, or am I going to go for writing? You know, I had this decision to make because I, I, one, I think they go hand in hand. Two, I was like, I don't know if I can absorb anybody else's issues. Like I've absorbed so many throughout my life that I'm like, I don't think I have the capacity to absorb anymore without it. Just making a podcast my, about it, making a podcast about it, writing a book about it. They aren't my stories. It would be pretty shitty. So
1: um, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So I was like, Hmm, let's just write about this instead of actually putting it into practice at this point. But a lot of writers are lawyers and therapists this is like writing goes hand in hand with both of those professions. At what point did you decide instead of writing right now, I'm going to go and get my law degree. What drove you to get a law degree?
2: Well, no, I always, I always knew that I was going to go to law school. Right. Um, And it was It was the romantic notion of going to law school and studying in the stacks and doing all that stuff. And oh, my God, it took me ten. I I had a 10 year break because I couldn't figure out what kind of law could I practice that I could live with myself. Right. Sure. Because Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. my first semester of law school, I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? This is awful. All you do is memorize this crap and spit it back out. And then you're already 30 grand into it and you're like, well, I guess I'm going to keep going, you yeah. know, and,
1: yeah.
2: and it's totally disillusioning. And uh, yeah, it's not ever something once I had that, I'm like, well, oh no. So the writing part, you know, here's, here's the interesting part. I'm not sure. I even remember taking any writing classes at all in undergrad, nothing. I took none. Um, I think there was a point when I couldn't do the things I wanted to do that I started to write about the things instead yeah, until I could get back to doing them, which, you know, and then I'm like, Ooh, when I do this, I can make all kinds of stuff up. And then we got to, um, the other series of books was set in Denver and, and, you know, the injustice series and my friend and I wrote those and, um, So we'd write some stuff and then I'd fly out to Denver and then we would go to Panera and we would sit there and we'd like hash through this whole thing. And, and so we'd spend like, you know, I'd spend like a week there and then I'd come back and then we, anyway, it was, but you know, that was, that was a fun time because a lot of people that I knew military or in the national guard, their full-time jobs were really interesting. Like, okay, who gets to be me, who, who gets off the plane in Denver? and and your friend who is like second in command of the state patrol female and she's like hey by the way we're not going to the house first we're going over to Adams County because we're having a terrorist mock-up um uh, homeland security terrorist thing and you're going to be one of the terrorists so don't I hope you don't mind that I volunteered you
1: and it was like <laughs> huh?
2: and she just threw me into it I'm like all right then <laughs> you know it's that kind of stuff where you're just like I'm pretty sure not ever, but I never thought about it because my life was always like that. All those things that now people like you, your eyeballs pop out and you're like, you what, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, it's just normal for me because of the people that I knew associated with that. They had these kind of secret squirrel jobs or state patrol jobs, or, you know, a secret service or whatever it was, you knew all these people because of the stuff you did and, you didn't think twice about it. You're just like, Oh, what are you up to today in the missile silo? You know, it's really boring there. Okay. Well, whatever, you know, or the guy who's like on the, on the ship, which I call them boats, you know, the Navy guys get mad when you do that, but um, you know, <laughs> the things that they do on there and that's really fascinating, but it, you know, now that you step back and everybody's like, no, no, not, normal people don't do those things. It's not really how it works. Then it's, it's kind of right. cool.
0: Well, I think it's interesting because I've never lived in a place where there was a large military. Oh, no, I lie. I did for six months. But other than living in Oceanside for six months and living in um, an apartment complex that was very affordable and not great, but it was all the military, young military officers And I had no idea. I had no idea because I had found that place in Michigan. I had gone into the grocery store, gotten one of those rental apartments things called ahead and then drove out but um other than that small and I never I you know I went to work and then went home because I didn't know anybody so I was I never went out so I never ran into the military at all except I just heard them through the walls but um I've never lived in a place where there was a military presence you know so like even when I watch military shows I'm 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 flabbergasted at like that. there's like, you know, like a whole city that's all military. And, and it's crazy to me because I've never had that experience. I don't even think aside from my grandfathers, I don't even know anybody and you, I don't even know anybody, anybody that's been in the military.
2: Isn't that crazy? And and they are self-contained cities. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You shut those gates and you don't need to go anywhere. You can- totally you know, self-sustaining
1: mm-hmm. there's a whole whole uh whole economy there and i you know we we go up to uh joshua tree a lot there's a, a base out at 29 palms and just every now and then you're you know you're driving on this two-lane highway and the whole convoy of yeah. military vehicles comes through and um our kid you know, thinks
0: it's a parade he's
1: like oh, yeah <laughs> it's a yeah but i realized like uh, a lot of this is just restocking like, like life stuff, not necessarily military supplies, just, you know, everyone on that base has to eat. Everyone needs clothes. Everyone needs, you know, stuff, pens and paper.
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there the, the trucks that resupply that are civilian trucks like for the army, it's a I think they changed their designator recently army air force exchange service, but those are all, Uh, civilian trucks government trucks that come that don't look like military they just come in regular old trucks and and then you always have your burger king or or Mm -hmm. whoever's allowed to be on that base where you're like yep yep i'm stopping there on the way through i don't want to eat the crap they're serving so you know you grab you get in that line and you go through and you do that and you know only so many of those kind of vendors are allowed on a base or a post or whatever too so that's it's pretty interesting i mean there's There's, um, and everything's free. Like you have a library, you have a theater, you have your post office and your bowling alley and you have, um, like a place where you can repair your car for free. You just have to sign up for everything and you can get all this kind of crazy stuff for free that you can't even imagine.
1: Really? Wow. Yep. Well, Kathy, I, I, I want to just thank you again. This has been uh, so great talking to you about all of your experiences, all of your jobs, and and it's exciting to hear the way that all of them are coming into your creative life. Again. Yes,
2: thank you. Yeah, thank you. This is so, so nice.
1: <laughs> So why'd you come around? She want my money, but I got no money. This ain't no savings and loan.